the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are looking at the reign of Christ for a thousand years. That's today here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. As we close out the week, we continue our exploration of Revelation chapter 20 and the millennial reign of Christ. Now, we have seen the the downside of this millennial reign, the, the binding of Satan. Now we see the glorious side of it all. With Satan cast down and bound, it brings on the reign of Christ and what a reign it's going to be. Let's turn our attention once again to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. The Millennium Part 2, the reign of the saints. So we come today to, again, to Revelation 20. If you remember last week, we studied the first three verses. And today we're going to go right out and read and study the next three verses. And let's begin by reviewing very quickly the first three verses of this chapter. The 20th chapter of Revelation is the only chapter in the whole Bible that talks about a millennium, which is a thousand-year period. And in the first three verses and the last verses, they tell us the beginning and the end of that millennium. In verse 11 and following, we see that the end is at Judgment Day, the great white throne judgment at the end of time. And in verses 1 and 2, it says that the beginning of this millennium happens at the binding of, or happened at the binding of Satan. You have this great angel that has a key and a chain in his hand that symbolizes Christ and his authority and the power of restraint that he has over Satan. And remember, the abyss is not hell, but is a place of Satan's restraint. We went through the book of Revelation and saw that it was distinguished from hell as symbolizing a place of restraint and that Jesus bound Satan and threw him into that abyss. So the thousand-year period begins with the binding of Satan and it ends with Judgment Day. We went through the Old Testament and the New, and we saw that one of the major themes in the New Testament is this restraint of Christ that Christ has set on Satan's activities in this world. In fact, in Matthew 12, it actually says, when Jesus is questioned how he could cast out demons, the Pharisees said, it is because he is in cahoots with the demons. And Jesus said, of course, that is ridiculous. Jesus then said, it is actually proof that the kingdom of God has appeared on earth. The fact that he could cast out demons and that you cannot break into a strong man's house until, first of all, you bind the strong man and then you can plunder his goods. 
and I have come to bind that strong man. So here Satan begins to be bound with the first coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And remember the word bind in Matthew 12 is exactly the same word as bound in verse 2 of Revelation 20. That the curtailing of Satan's activity and influence began 2,000 years ago with the appearance of Lord Jesus Christ on the scene of history. We saw last week that Satan continues to be under restraint through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And that the millennium that began 2,000 years ago ends at Judgment Day, whenever that day is going to be, which means then that the word thousand is not to be taken literally. It doesn't refer to a literal thousand-year period because it has already been 2,000 years. And besides that, the word thousand is very frequently used metaphorically in the Bible. For instance, as we saw last week, to give you one example, it says the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And that does not mean that he doesn't own the cattle on the thousand and first hill. The word thousand was used for vastness. So all of the cattle on all of the hills, in other words, a vast number of cattle on a vast number of hills. And that's the way the word thousand is used here in our text. In fact, all of the numbers in Revelation are used symbolically as we have already seen. None of them are to be taken literally. So this thousand-year period refers to a vast, vast period of time that is already 2,000 years long that began with the binding of Satan in Christ's death, resurrection, and continues until his second coming and in between. The restraint of Satan is kept in place through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Now, that does not mean that Satan carries out no activity whatsoever and that he's not able to exert any influence because if you will notice in our text, he is only restrained in reference to one thing. In our text, it says in verse 3 that he's restrained in reference to his ability to deceive nations, that during this period he may not deceive any of the nations. Now, that's difficult for us to see in light of the fact that we see so many unbelievers in the nations all around us and so many unbelieving nations. But if you compare life after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus with before that point, you see that Satan had the nations all deceived. If you were going to be a member of the family of God, you pretty much had to become an Israelite. There were hardly any believers anywhere in the world outside of Israel. Scripture says Melchizedek was one and Job was another. 
The nations were deceived by Satan and in complete darkness. But with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel doors were opened to the whole wide world. And now we see millions upon millions of believers in virtually every nation, every tribe, language, ethnic group on the face of the earth. And gradually... Things will get better and better with the greater influence the gospel has on cultures and more and more people and nations will be brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Satan has been restrained from his ability to deceive the nations. Now we come to verses 4 and 7, 4 through 7, and we read about the reign of the saints. The first thing I want you to notice is how you get into the millennium. That is, how do you enjoy the blessings that will come during this thousand-year reign of Christ that's already 2,000 years old? Look at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they, that is, the saints, set upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark upon their foreheads and upon their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. I want you to notice, first of all, two things here. There is a first and second resurrection, and there is a first and second death. And you participate in the blessings of the millennium by undergoing the first resurrection. And if you experience the first resurrection, the second death will have no effect upon you. Because then you will experience a second resurrection. Now, who wrote the book of Revelation? Of course, it was John, and the John of the book of Revelation would not contradict the John of the gospel or of the epistles, do you think? I mean, the same John who wrote the gospel of John and who wrote the first, second, and third epistles and who wrote the book of Revelation is not going to contradict himself. And John specifically refers to two resurrections in his gospel. If you look at John 5, verses 24 through 29, you'll see the same man who wrote Revelation 20 talking about and explaining what these two resurrections are in John. Of course, I forgot to mark that page. But if you would turn there with me. John chapter 5, verses 24 through 29, and then I'm going, and, and, but I'm going to read 24 and 25 first, and then verses 28 and 29. So John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25 first. Truly, truly, I say to you, and this is Jesus talking here, he who Hears, 
my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now notice, he distinguished two events here. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, and he doesn't say this time, now is, in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. So, if you'll notice, in verse 24, Jesus said that everyone who hears his word believingly not only has eternal life and shall not be judged at the end of the world, but it is proof that he has passed from death to life. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you hear his word believingly, it is a sign that you have passed from death to life. That is, undergone a spiritual resurrection. And then he says the same thing again. Truly, truly, I say, an hour is coming and it is already in operation here and now when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, hear it and live. So he says now the situation is such that those dead people who hear the voice of the Son of God shall live. Verse 29. But there is an hour coming in the future when every dead person, when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and shall come forth. So the first resurrection is a spiritual resurrection. Those who believe in the word of God have passed from death to life. Because now the situation is that all of those who are spiritually dead and who hear the voice of the Son of God shall live. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what he's talking about now is the preaching of the gospel. Those who hear the gospel and are dead and whom the Holy Spirit opens their hearts and causes them to be raised out of spiritual death unto spiritual life shall live forever. They shall have everlasting life. So this first resurrection is a spiritual resurrection from spiritual death unto spiritual life. But then he says in verse 28, in the future, it's not going to be some dead people. It will be all dead people. Everyone who is in the tomb is going to hear the voice of the Son of God and will arise from the dead. And those who have done good deeds will rise to a resurrection of life. And those who have committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So he says the situation is now that if you believe in Jesus, it is because you have gone through a spiritual resurrection. That if you were spiritually dead and you heard my voice believingly, you were raised out of death unto life. And there is coming a future day 
when all the dead people will hear my voice. Notice, not believingly, but will hear his voice. And all dead people will be raised from the dead. And those who do good deeds will shall be raised to life. And those who do evil deeds shall be raised to judgment. That is the second resurrection. The resurrection of the body at the end of time. So here you have John talking about two resurrections. The first resurrection is a spiritual resurrection that takes place when you are converted. The second resurrection takes place at the end of the world when everyone is raised from the dead on that one day. And those who have done good deeds go to to life and those who do evil deeds go to condemnation. Revelation 2 verse 11. Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, now, present tense, will not be hurt by the second death. So the first resurrection is salvation from spiritual death. The second resurrection is salvation from the second death, which is physical death. Look at the history of the world. The history of mankind. What was the first death that took place? Was it spiritual? Or was it physical? It was spiritual. Adam lived some 900 years after he was convicted. But remember what God told Adam. He said, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, you shall surely die. And Adam went on to live 900 more years. Was God wrong? No. When Adam ate of the fruit, he died that day spiritually. And he plunged the entire human race into spiritual death. And then he didn't experience the physical death, the second death, until 900 years later. So the first resurrection saves you from the first death, spiritual death. Spiritual resurrection from spiritual death. The second resurrection saves you from physical death, the second death. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, John emphasizes this again when he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life, spiritual death unto spiritual life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. So how do you know you have undergone the first resurrection? You love your brethren. Beloved, if you don't love your brethren, you are still dead spiritually, even though your body is alive. So what is the conclusion of all of this? The conclusion is that a Christian is a person who has undergone spiritual resurrection to newness of life in Christ and who will therefore undergo physical resurrection at the return of Christ because of the truth of 1 Corinthians 15:22 which says, for as in Adam all die, so also all who are in Christ shall be made alive. So the reason you are a believer is because you have undergone a spiritual resurrection. You have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. You have undergone the first resurrection, which means you will experience the second resurrection of the body that will deliver you from the second death. All of this of course, is of Christ, because we can do none of this ourselves. So these resurrections in Revelation 20 do not have 
reference to a physical thing, but a spiritual resurrection. And that is why you participate in the millennium. Now, notice a second thing here about the reign of the saints. These resurrected people will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. Last part of verse 4. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part of the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So here it is mentioned in two or three times that during this thousand-year period, its distinguishing feature is that it is the period in which those who have undergone spiritual resurrection reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, the reign of Christ and of Christians in Him is another one of those major themes in the entire New Testament. This is not the first time the Bible talks about such a thing. In fact, if you remember the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the like, they always talk about a time pointing toward the reign of Christ, that whole period of time that began with his incarnation and goes to his second coming. And during that time, Christ reigns, and we as believers reign in him. That's a major theme of the book of Revelation and, of course, of the rest of the New Testament. Let me read you some of the verses in the book of Revelation that show this. Verse 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 10. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. Verse 17. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now chapter 11. Verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign for a little while, forever and ever. Chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before God day and night. Chapter 15, verse 3. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, and this, of course, is a song about this Lamb, Jesus Christ. Great and marvelous are your words, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Then the great verse in chapter 19, verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Though this is the major theme throughout the book of Revelation, that Jesus Christ himself does reign here and now forever and ever. Now in the 20th chapter, you have an added thought that we reign with him. So now let's look at some verses in the New Testament to see that that is not just found in the book of Revelation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Remember, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Beloved, this isn't a future thing. Right now, picture yourself as sitting on Jesus' lap. Jesus is sitting on the throne of the universe, and you are sitting on his lap that we were raised out of death with Christ and were seated past tense with him, and we reign with him. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm